Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah Shan. Joining me today is Charlotte FC beat writer for and uh, the manager of Top Bin 90, uh, Jorge Gonzalez, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jeremiah, for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah, so real quick, Top Bin 90 is mostly known as your Twitter account, but it sounds like you guys are getting ready to expand into like a real website. Yeah, man. So Top Bin 90, uh, we're, we do a lot of podcasts. We do uh, a lot of fan content. And uh, with our website, we want to hit up that uh, writing space as well. So we're excited about the growth of what we going on. We got going on here. We mostly focus on Charlotte. Uh, eventually, we'll expand out a little bit more into the MLS as well. Nice. Well, uh, it's always good. I always love talking to uh, independent uh, MLS content creators. So uh, glad to glad to have you on. And uh, let's get right into it. Uh, the game is Sunday. Uh, Charlotte is coming off a loss to the New York Red Bulls in U.S. Open Cup play. Uh, what can you tell us about that game? It looked like basically the, the normal starting 11 was, or maybe not the starting normal starting 11, but as good of a starting 11 as you could put out. Yeah. So, I mean, Miguel kind of played all his marbles last night, typically in goal, we've been seeing our number three draft pick George Marks. He decided to uh, play our starter Kalina. It was pretty much the same lineup. Uh, that we had in our win against Vancouver. The only difference was Karol Swiderski was missing because he had to go uh, into, with international duty with Poland. And Fuchs was missing as a center back due to an injury. Other than that, uh, nine out of the 11 starters were there last night. And um, he decided to go for it. Unfortunately, we lost that game. Yeah, so how does that impact? The, is, is the, like What's the expectation coming into how that impacts uh, the lineup on Sunday? Honestly, I think that impacts it very significantly. Um, I, I, if you looked at both of these games, I believe this is how I think Miguel thought. This game was probably a more winnable game against the Red Bulls versus uh, Sounders. I mean, because our away record is not good at all. We've got one point out of every away match that we've played. And I think that's going to uh, significantly impact who we see on the pitch Sunday. And so uh, Swiderski is not going to be back. He's still on international duty with Poland, right? Uh, and is Fuchs supposed to be back, or is he is he probably out with injury too? He's still doubtful. Okay. So it'll, I, I don't think he'll make it, but we'll, we'll, we're, we're tracking his progress. So one of the other players that's been injured recently who Sounders fans sh- should know uh, is a former uh, Sounders Academy player, Chris Haygart. How's he been? What's his status? Yeah, so Chris Haygart, um, he, he got a lot of time in preseason. He looked he looked like a good player, played the first two games, and unfortunately got injured during a training. 
had a meniscus operation and he's been out for a while. Um, he's very close to returning. You could potentially see him on the bench against Seattle this weekend. But it's he's so you haven't had a chance to see him play a ton yet. Then it sounds like, right? Uh, well, it's it, he is a great story. Again, I, I've talked about him a few times on this podcast. But if I would urge people, just to, he's got such a like uplifting story. He was a cancer survivor as a child. Uh, ended up moving to the Sanders Academy as a as a high schooler. Uh, had a solid run here. Helped Sanders win GA Cup in 2019. Went to college at Georgetown. Is that right? Georgetown University. Yeah, and then he he Sounders apparently weren't really planning on signing him, but they were able to trade his rights to to Charlotte, and so he's he's gotten a, to a, a good start there. Uh, you know, another connection between Seattle and Charlotte was Mark Nichols. He's no longer with the organization. What happened there with Mark Nichols, who was uh, hired to be what the sporting director originally or the GM yeah, at, he, at Charlotte? He came in as the technical director, I believe. Technical director, okay. Yeah. And so he, he uh, laid a lot of the foundation for the first year of Charlotte FC, you know, um, kind of developing the academy and also um, bringing in players like Brant Bronico, who's our sixth now. And uh, um, there's really nothing from the club officially came out. It was pretty much Dan left to Columbus when Dan was asked, um, Dan, when Mark was asked about, um, about why he decided to go to Columbus, his reason was just that it was a great opportunity for him. But from what I've heard, it looks like there was a little bit of differences between what he wanted versus what our technical and sporting directors wanted. Well, that sort of transitions transition just nicely into the way the season is go, going because the, when Mark Nichols left, that I think raised a lot of red flags with people like myself, with people in the national media. And it sort of ha- happened around the same time that uh, your coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez, made this infamous quote about how you guys had this horrible roster. And so everyone kind of like went crazy saying like, oh, here's your wooden spoon winners. They're a complete disaster. It's going to be, you know, they don't know what they're doing in Charlotte. And here we are, you know, a third of the way through the season and you guys are in a playoff spot. It's not been anything like a disaster. It's actually been reasonably successful. Uh, was the was it just us in the national media just completely not understanding? Or was there something there that has sort of been is is Ramirez just that good of a coach? What do you make of sort of the uh, <laughs> the gap between what expectation was and what the reality has been so far? Nice. It's pretty interesting because I was the one who actually uh, captured that moment. So I can give you some context. Right. So what happened was, uh, so that they did an open practice that day at Charlotte FC. Um, And so the fans were able to come, the media were able to come and um, they did a press conference after and Miguel only supposed to talk for three to five minutes. He got pulled over and said, Hey, like it's time to go. And Miguel said, no, 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 no. I'm going to answer every question that these guys have today. And so you could already tell that his mood wasn't that like positive, right? Like he had something he wanted to get off his chest. (laughs) Exactly. And one of the things was he was talking about having a conversation with uh, the head coach, Josh Wolf at Austin and how difficult the first season was and yada, yada. So I'm like, well, Miguel, what should, uh, what should Charlotte FC's fans expectations be for this first season? Right. And he's like, I'll answer that when we finish building a roster, but right now we're screwed. And we said this in Spanish, so, you know, like, 
80% of the people around me didn't speak English. And I'm just looking around and I'm like, did he, like, I was in <laughs> shock because I was like, did I understand what he just told me correctly? <laughs> and then watching it back and I'm like, he really did say this. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, to kind of answer your question, I think it's a mixture of both, right? If the head coach of a team comes out and says, we're screwed, what should the national media's really <laughs> be of the team, right? Uh-huh. And then I think also is he's a really good coach. I mean, he proved with a young Independiente del Valle team in Ecuador who was virtually unknown and went and won the Copa Sudamericana, beating some really big teams along the way. So from my perspective, I understood that he already had the power and the knowledge of being able to do more with less. And um, he's, he's proven to be doing that here. Although I believe he's, he didn't give his the squad that he has enough credit because we have some really good players in there. Yeah, classic under-promise, over-deliver move right there. Uh, we it here in really Seattle, was. We here in Seattle are very familiar with that move because uh, Garth Largaway uh, does that every year to us where he says, ah, I don't know, we're probably not going to be able to do anything with the roster, and then all of a sudden there's some big name coming in. Uh, but, you know, like this last offset, whatever, I don't need to get into it. But, like, I, we're very familiar with that move, but it's good to know that, that others are well. Uh, this is a little off topic, but does – does Ramirez give interviews in English and Spanish or is he mostly doing interviews in Spanish? Yeah, he does them in English and Spanish. Part of the press is English, part of the press is Spanish. So you usually start with English questions and with Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, we have sort of a similar dynamic here, not with our head coach, but with a lot of the players and we have a very, uh, a, we're lucky to have a lot of Spanish language reporters here, but it's, it's always funny because, you can tell that the, especially the native Spanish speakers are a little bit more willing to say what's on their mind in Spanish than in English. And I would imagine Ramirez is maybe the same way where it's like, I don't think I would say this in English, but I'm willing to fire it off in Spanish. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So like this team more broadly has been, you know, they, they've been pretty good. They're, they're five and two at home. They're like, you mentioned they're, they're Oh five and one on the road, which is not great, but at home, They've been able to dictate play. They've been playing in front of these great crowds. I don't know if how, how aware Sounders fans are, but uh, the crowds look very much like what they looked like in Seattle in year one, where you, you aside from the first game where you, you broke the attendance record, almost 75,000 people, uh, and there was this great scene with the, uh, where the mic cut out. I rem- if I remember correctly, the mic on the, on the national anthem singer went out, and it was almost too perfect where the crowd just sort of, jumped in and did that and, and saying it, it was, it was quite a uh, impressive scene. And I would urge fans to just go look that up because it is really kind of a, a cool scene, but you know, you, you had 75,000 at that game. And if I remember correctly, you didn't, they, they lost that game, right? Yeah. One nil. And, but yet they've, they've gone five and one since that at home playing in front of solid, you know, 30,000 plus fans every game. Uh, what have you made of the atmosphere? What do you think of how, how has soccer been embraced in Charlotte, which is not necessarily, you know, it's been in the, in the North American soccer scene, but I don't think anyone ever thought like, oh yeah, Charlotte is uh, clearly going to be, you know, drawing 30,000 a game. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, to, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised too. So a couple of the topics that I, I think are important. One the national anthem cutting off was spectacular. That's actually a tradition now here for every home match. So the singer starts off 
and then the crowd finishes off. So wow. spectacular. I mean, it's, I think interestingly, there's two things that have happened that I've seen here in Charlotte. There was already an underlying soccer scene here that just wasn't highlighted because we didn't have a local team. Like, you know, like I support Liverpool and Barcelona. You've had all these other fans. Now we have a team that we can root for in our backyard, right? So you have that fan, but you also have a mixture of the new wave of soccer fans, as I like to call, people that just never experienced soccer. And they're going into these games, are watching the supporters section, seeing the the songs, the chants, that atmosphere, and they're getting, they're diving 100% in it. And so that mixture of both, I think, has created just a great atmosphere here in Charlotte, in the Carolinas, as we like to call them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and does it feel like a, is it, is it a cross Carolina sort of thing? Like, are you getting a lot of, like, does it feel, you know, one of the things it's funny to think about now is, as a fan of this league for quite a long time, for, for, you know, forever, there was this big, you know, quarter of the country where we just had no presence because there, there was no, there was no MLS in, in the South and whether it be Georgia or the Carolinas or Florida. And now all of a sudden you've got, you know, you've got a, a whole bunch of teams. What is the, it, like, what is the quintessential Southern aspect? I think, and it, and it does feel like to me that Charlotte has embraced a little bit more of the Southern nature of of its culture. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's just my limited exposure, but like Atlanta feels like still like a very Metro sort of area. Like it's a big city. Uh, and you know, Florida is a whole different animal, right. And Tennessee uh, or in, and Nashville is sort of like a tent, you know, it's like, it's like music city. Whereas, but like, I don't know, Charlotte feels like it's NASCAR. It's, uh, it's like, it's classic South, you know, Southern sports. Yeah, so the thing about Charlotte, though, the last probably five, six years has really changed. It's a strong financial city. I read a stat recently that 140 people are moving here a day now. And so, like, the growth of this city has been spectacular. We're, uh, I like to call us a good medium city. Like, it's not big like Miami or New York, but it's also not small. And so I think that also plays a factor in it as well. And, uh, yeah, like, you're right about, like, the Southern hospitality that's something that we're known for, even at our supporters groups, other supporters are welcome. And so uh, I think that that's an aspect that if you're in the South, you're definitely going to feel that in Charlotte. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, one of the areas where you, where the team hasn't been off to a great start is on the road. Like I mentioned, Oh, five and one on the road. What do you make of the, of that? I mean, that's a big gap uh, between home and road form. What do you make of that? And, uh, how does that change expectations? This is the first time that uh, that Charlotte's been to the West Coast. Uh, only really the second time they've even been out West. They they played Colorado before. Uh, how big? How much bigger of a challenge is that for them coming out here? And 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 why is there such a? Why do you think they've struggled so much outside of Charlotte? Yeah, I think uh, there's a mixture of a couple of things in there. Yeah, uh, most of our road games, we've only been able to pull one point out of. I want to say five or six games that we've had, I think six away. And it's a mixture of a couple of things. One is that there's a clearly lapses of concentration, especially in our back line that lead to moments where like um, some goals that get scored on us shouldn't be scored. You know, um, like I, I, I can think of for one example, there was one where our defender Corujo wanted to clear the ball, it hit a player and went inside the goal. Right. 
Another one where our goalie, who's been spectacular, you know, playing out the back, passes it to the forward. I think this was Philly, and, and they score on us. So there's a mixture of that. Also, Miguel has gone into a couple of these games and given too much respect to some of these teams, right? And instead of playing that free flow and possession base that he wanted, he uh, is a little bit more conservative in these games, and that ends up costing us the games. And so we saw that here against Montreal at home specifically, where, you know, he didn't uh, stick to his 4-3-3, decided to play 4-4-2, populate the mid a little bit more, and we got bullied by Montreal, right? And so I think it's a mixture of those things as well. And two, we're a brand new team, right? A lot of these players are still getting to understand the game model. A lot of these players have never played together before. So I think it's a mixture of all of these things. Yeah, I mean, that's... And, and the reality is that playing on the road in MLS is hard for everyone. Like very few teams hit the ground running in this league. Uh, if for no other reason than you know, especially because Charlotte was built around players who didn't necessarily have a ton of MLS experience. I have to imagine a lot of these players just are unused to flying, uh, having to fly to every road game. But even beyond that, having to fly long distances, like I would imagine some of them have probably like never had to fly six hours for a road game. Like they're going to have to fly for, for Seattle. Yeah, that's a great point, too. Uh, yeah, I, I felt to mention that. But yeah, even <laughs> it's peak MLS where we say, oh, our game is close. It's in Atlanta, which is four hours away. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is a close home game for us, a.k.a. four and a half hours away. <laughs> right. No, I know. It's the same. It's like, you know, it's, it's always funny to me when we sort of talk to uh, especially European uh, folks and we'll say like, oh, yeah, this is a local derby between seattle and portland and it's like oh well how close are they and it's like well they're you know they're only a two and a half hour drive away and they're like what are you talking about that's like the farthest road trip we'll take all year that's hilarious but uh yeah so anyway it'll be it'll be interesting what's your expectation coming into this game man my expectation <laughs> that's a, a good question man hopefully realistically i honestly don't see us pulling anything out of this uh hopefully we do actually pull uh i'd say i'd be happy with a tie away from home especially against a team like seattle especially given the context of how we're heading here we're missing our dp striker who's with poland we just played 90 minutes last night wednesday right and um we're going into probably one of the best mls teams although this season you guys have looked iffy so far but that can kind of be understood <laughs> based off the tournaments that you've been playing, right? And so I think mixing all of that with us only being able to pull one point away doesn't give me much hope that we'll actually get anything out of this game. But the one thing that I do see is in Miguel's, anyone that plays Charlotte FC always finds it a difficult game to play, right? So we've become very strong at home and we're a difficult team to play away, right? So that's kind of my silver lining to what I've seen. And I think we added, we recently added uh, our second U22 initiative player, Kerwin Vargas, a guy that's come from uh, second division in Portugal, who just from the people that I've spoken with was inches away from signing with Porto in, uh, in, in Portugal. Portugal, one of the biggest teams there, right? And he actually played his first game with us. So he started training with the team Friday, of last week. And Miguel was so impressed with his two training sessions 
added him to the squad and gave him 20 minutes against Montreal. And the guy looks spectacular here in the Charlotte streets. We're calling him the MLS Luis Diaz. So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully he can come up good. Uh, the, our, another recent signing that we had, Andre Shinyashiki coming from Colorado, has come in here and enjoyed life at Charlotte so far. In five appearances, he's got three goals and an assist as well. And we'll also be counting with our second DP, Camille Yazviak, who uh, we signed a couple months ago. He's coming back from an injury, but he's starting to look like the DP player we expect from him. So I think our what, where we lacked the most a couple of weeks ago was in the forward options, and that's where we're, we're looking the deepest now. And so normally you guys have been playing a 4-3-3. Uh, is that sort of the setup that you would expect them to, to go into and just sort of be – I don't know what, what, like, what's the, how would you describe the way that you expect them to play? Like, are they going to be yeah. pressing and doing all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So Miguel's team's a team that likes to hold the ball, wants to have possession that will press up top as well. and likes to attack in numbers. Um, I definitely see him. <laughs> Ideally Miguel will play his four, three, three, but there have been instances in this season where we've played teams that I guess Miguel has felt has given too much respect to that has kind of, he's kind of gone away from what he's uh, traditionally done. And uh, I would expect to see a four, three, three against Seattle, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he changes it up for this game, given, given the fact of who we've, we've been playing, who we're playing, which is Seattle. Nice. Well, that's, uh, that's probably a good place to, to call this. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I, I've, it's been fun seeing Charlotte FC from a distance. It's going to be even more fun to see them up close. Uh, hopefully we get a good game here. And uh, yeah, uh, again, this is Jorge Gonzalez of Top Bin 90. Uh, they're going to be launching their site soon. So, so do go check them out. Uh, thank you for doing this, Jorge. Yeah, appreciate that, man. Nothing would be more peak MLS after dark for us to get our first win away against the <laughs> champions. <laughs> yes, uh, right? I, I wish so I could. That would it would be very fitting, and I and and I never put any result beyond the the realm of possibility in MLS, yeah. and uh, I'm certainly hopeful that yeah, it would it would not be it would not be completely shocking. I I have to agree with that. It would, it would definitely be peak. MLS after dark uh, fingers crossed. We don't I, I, on our end, at least <laughs> that's, that's kind of our silver lining here. Like, Hey man, we, it is an MLS after dark game. Yeah. Maybe we do it this time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, you take care. All right. Thank you. All right. You're listening to uh, the center heart podcast and we'll catch you next time.